This is Annie Grace, and you're listening to this Naked Mind podcast, where without judgment, pain, or rules, we explore the role of alcohol in our lives and culture. This episode is sponsored by The Alcohol Experiment, a free 30-day challenge designed to interrupt your patterns, give you control, restore your health, and put you back in touch with the version of you who doesn't need alcohol to cope, relax, or enjoy life. More than 220,000 people have already tried The Alcohol Experiment for themselves and have seen improved sleep, increased happiness, reduced anxiety, and so much more. Join thousands in this inspiring, hopeful, and exciting program where you examine your beliefs and reconnect with the best version of you without ever feeling like you're missing out. Start today for free at alcoholexperiment.com. Hi, this is Annie Grace and welcome to this Naked Mind podcast. And I am super excited to be here with Ryan O'Connell. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm so good. So you have such a fascinating, interesting story, and I don't want to give away any of it because I want to hear it all out of your own mouth. So why don't you sort of back us up to the beginning where it all started for you? Wow. Fascinating. That's quite, I thought a lot to live up to. (laughs) (laughs) When I think of drinking, I think of it as the world's least compelling Groundhog's Day, but I'll try as a storyteller. (laughs) Um, You know, I... I basically, I grew up in Ventura, California, which is like this little, you know, small beach town that's like Laguna Beach, but with like sprinklings of meth. Um, And, you know, I remember growing up, my mom was an alcoholic and it happened pretty abruptly. Like my, she, my dad is a teetotaler. He doesn't drink. My mom was very, had a normal relationship with alcohol and then they divorced and it was like overnight, like split. She just like became someone who drank a bottle of wine a night, which was very jarring for me considering alcohol was just like not in our household. Like I remember like when I went to college, like people were like, oh my God, Thanksgiving with my family, everyone's going to get so wasted. And I was like, I don't understand. I was like, my dad drinks Coca-Cola. Do you know what I mean? Um, And then my mom obviously is like a secret alcoholic and blah, blah, blah. Um, so, you know, growing up with that was pretty cray cray. Um, it just like went from zero to 180 really quickly. And, uh, she got sober when I was 20. And I'm thinking about like when I started to drink, which was very like teenage, whatever shenanigans. And I remember kind of like being very take it or leave it with booze for like a long time. And in fact, I think that's the thing that kind of did a number on me was that Mm -hmm. I drank normally from the ages of like 17 to like 30. I think it was like when I started to see a shift and I think that kind of made me feel protected against addiction because it was like, you know, it's like, like I had my mom as a model, someone who had a really quick descent into alcoholism. I had episodes of A&E's intervention. I had like all these kind of things to point to that were like, Ooh, alcoholism is, you know, insidious and it's fast and, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, And that just wasn't the case for me. Also to like add another layer to the seven layer dip. um, I was addicted to painkillers in my twenties and like, oh my God, opiates. They're super fun, super like, oh my God, like there's nothing quite like them. And in fact, they make alcohol look embarrassing and like not cheap. Um, that was like, that was like very fast and furious. Like that was a love affair. That was like very vibrant, very immediate, very like immediately in quicksand vibes. And then alcohol was just a grower, not a shower. You know what I mean? 
And again, I think that kind of insulated me from ever being concerned about it because my painkiller addiction was so obvious and so hard to kind of dispute that like everything else seemed really like in the healthy bounds. And I quit painkillers um, when I was like 27. And now in retrospect, I feel like I just kind of transferred addictions. Like <laughs> I just, you know, out one ear in the other. Um, and how, and, how did you quit just out of Oh care? my God, in a really strange way. It's, it's like, I didn't go to rehab. I did go to NA, I did go to AA. I didn't really relate to the programs. Um, and what happened was I was living in New York and I moved to LA and I got a job writing for TV. And it was, the con- it was really honestly a confluence of events of, of me moving to a different city and not having any drug contacts. Although I have cerebral palsy. And so like, honestly, it doesn't take much for me to get pills. Like it's, it's like true, true, like knock, knock, who's there, a doctor willing to give me pain meds. So like, but like, it was great to like not have a drug dealer and to really have like this like kind of clean slate. And then when I got my job writing for TV, that had kind of been all that I've been working towards my entire life. So I just, I really didn't want to screw that up. Like being mm-hmm. high on opiates is like one thing, if you're just a blogger writing about your feelings, it's another to be like in a comedy room, had to like pitch jokes and like, it's, it's a more intense breakneck pace. Um, and then this like sounds cheesy, but I like started this crazy thing called exercise. Now, like prior, my version of cardio was running to my drug dealer's house when he said he had Percocet, but like now, I was like really treating my body with care and love and intention. And my relationship to my body was always Herbie fully loaded because like being disabled, I always saw it as like what it couldn't do. Mm. And exercise helped me reframe that and instead look at my body as this sort of amazing, incredible, powerful thing that could do so much, so much more than I ever thought was possible. So I feel like those couple things of a job, a new place to live, and me getting really into exercise and treating my body well was sort of like kind of it for me. And I remember like a few times in Los Angeles, like literally biking and would like fall into my lap, like either a friend would have some or whatever, and I would take it. And it was like very much like the thrill is gone by Chet Baker. Like it just like didn't feel the same. Like it really was just like it hit the, the high hit differently. I didn't like the way it made me feel. I didn't like being out of my body. Um, so I just stopped, which feels like, again, like very, like not the narrative that we hear, but what I loved about your book was like this idea of spontaneous sobriety, although mine wasn't really spontaneous as, as much as it was kind of like this dull fading out, but like, it's definitely something you don't really hear about. Do you know what I mean? You either hear about re- rehab or, you know, cold turkey or whatever. And mine was just a slow dissolve. Um, and, and then, is it fair to say that you, in some ways, found things you cared about more? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think I just started to invest in my life in a really tangible way. I think like when I was in my 20s, I just really had this urge to self-destruct. But it's hilarious because I'm like a true type A Virgo from hell. So like I was so, oh, great. Oh my God, that tracks TBH. Like only a fucking Virgo could write the snake in mind. Um, and like, like, I'm gonna do some research. I'm gonna find some data. Like, honestly, like it's literally the most peak Virgo thing you've ever fucking done. I'm obsessed. Um, it's like truly the language of being a Virgo. Um, and it's like, I, I'm really bad at being an addict. Like I'm really, I'm really bad at being addicted to things because like I'm so high functioning and so driven and so ambitious. Like 
like I remember I was like writing a novel while being on painkillers and I was doing like college speaking tours and like my career was truly on fire and I was just like casually on Percocet for all of it um but I like I honestly never like nothing ever got compromised like my work like my work was always turned in on time and I think that's like also like this feeling of rock bottom was very elusive to me because I knew myself and I knew I would never get to a place where like truly bridges were being burned and like that also made it so much harder to quit because it became more of like the rock bottom wasn't about like tangible things being compromised it was more of like my soul being eroded (laughs) and like me also being like so exhausted by keeping up everything and keeping up the stubble life and all that stuff being high functioning is sort of a troll in a weird way because you can really keep juggling things for a very long time um and then so when I quit painkillers really kind of officially you know the drinking kind of turned a little bit like it honestly all started when I started drinking at home I became obsessed so I was drinking for like 13 years and like it always bothered me that I didn't ever really know what I liked or I'd always forget you know what I mean and it'd be like I should I should really like typical Virgo by the way I should really like investigate this and like see like what I like and like see what's out there and like go explore and like go see like what kind of the wine scene is like and didn't need to do that and I got really into natural wine pause for laughs which is like this whole like new movement of like you know wine with no added sulfites and people are like you drink it and you don't get hungover it's like lol that's definitely not true um but it's this it's this obsession with it the natural wine movement is fascinating because it's this obsession with like purity and being of the earth but it's like babe it's wine like let's not get it twisted do you know what I mean but it's like it makes you somehow feel better about the choices that you're making and like it creates this illusion of purity and like it's just odd like but I but I was really into it and I think that was sort of my gateway because I started buying a bunch of wine and getting really into it and it became like a real hobby of mine like and I think like in retrospect I can admit that like that hobby was acting as a mask for what was developing to be a real problem Mm -hmm. and I got really into like drinking at home that was the term like drinking at home was like once I started doing that, it was like, you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, babe. You know what I mean? And it was very much like, I mean, it's like, if you looked at like a, like a a film dissolve of all my drinking, it would just be like me, like literally watching Real Housewives and then like listening to Mazzy Star in my bedroom and like spilling red wine on my acne white t-shirt. Like, it's not like, it's like, again, the least compelling Groundhog Day. You know what I mean? Like no cars were crashed, no friendships were compromised. but it was just me steadily, you know, I think like my boyfriend and I would drink like a bottle, you know, with dinner and that felt very mature and sophisticated and adult. And like, this is how we drink now because we're in our thirties. And then, you know, that would slowly kind of turn into a bottle of wine a night. And then just like, I realized with like intermittent clarity that like I was walking around with like a mid-grade hangover basically for the last three to four years Mm. like and I was learning I was just I knew how to deal with it do you know what I'm saying like I just like I understood I mean it was annoying and like painful and like frustrating to have to like kind of climb this mountain of a hangover every single day to get to do what I needed to do but I I really really got used to it and was like learned how to function with it but I mean, I, I related to your book so much because it just, 
it was so insidious and it was so slow. And it was like, all of a sudden I just became a person that was always going to drink. And then of course you like see things turn a little bit where like now you're drinking when you don't even want to drink because you're hungover and now you're just drinking because you know it makes you feel better. And then like so much was happening. I feel like, I'm, like I hope I don't fuck up the timeline or I'm telling this in a concise way, but like- No, no, it's great. Okay, good, okay. Um, so basically like, you know, I, I did dry January a few times and I did that successfully because I'm a Virgo, Annie. <laughs> um, and I don't fuck around. And when I say I'm going to do something, I fucking do it. Um, yep, ever the taskmaster. Um, so, you know, that also gave me the illusion of control and of progress. And of course, I would celebrate doing dry January by getting positively wasted on February 1st. That was not, that, that, so that seemingly was kind of lost on me. I was like, wait, I don't understand. And then I was shooting season two of my TV show. And I remember I had these rules that like I, season one we shot. And I remember, I think I drank probably two glasses of wine a night, which I would not get hungover. And I was able to film and be fine. And then when we were doing the writer's room for season two, I kind of got it down to a science where I was able to have, this is like speaks to my tolerance. You're probably gonna be like, I would be wasted. Actually, you'd understand. Um, but basically I could have like a martini, maybe even two, and then like one glass of wine. And then I could be like kind of fine the next day at work. So I actually like never really was hungover like at work. And that was a big point of pride for me. Um, and then we filmed and my rule was that I would not drink during the week and I would only drink Fridays and Saturdays. So I would never be hungover on set, which I kept my promise. But I remember one night we were shooting like in Woodland Hills, which is so fucking out there for all the LA heads out there. Um, it's like deep, deep valley. Um, and I, we, we were shooting late, like later than we thought. And, oh, this is another thing. This is LOL. So like, finally I was like, I can't have alcohol in the house. I was like, we can't do this anymore. Like that's gonna really help curb my drinking because it's crazy. And then literally, I mean, I'm a restaurant bitch, so it's like not much of a surprise, but like I literally just ate out for dinner like every single night. And then had <laughs> like, like okay. literally, I was like, there's a loophole. Totally. It was like literally. Rule. Yeah, totally. I was like fucking Nancy and Drew on the case, trying to break the case of how to drink with not having any alcohol at home. And the answer was just go out to eat every night. Mm -hmm. um, and then I would have like these like glamorous, sad dinners but, like by myself at like a bar after writing and, you know, have my martinis and like check my phone. And it was just like, and then I would see like other like clear like alcoholics and be like, that's sad. Anyways, I'll have another one, like with no kind of awareness, you know? Um, anyway, so then, so then, you know, time was kind of ticking and I was getting really nervous because I didn't have any alcohol at home. That was, that was a rule that I had kept. We had not had alcohol in our house for a year. Um, which meant that I had to go to a bar. Um, and I remember like with it, like really truly having anxiety over whether or not we'd finish in time. And it was also a really intense emotional scene that I had to film. And I just remember like filming it like perfectly so that we could finish. Like I remember like getting so focused and like delivering a really good take. So I just knew we'd be done with my coverage and I could go home. Um, very relatable. <laughs> As anyone who's shooting a TV show while having an alcohol problem can relate. Am I right? <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then I remember like hightailing it to uh, this bar and drinking three martinis back to back, like at like one fifteen. 
and um, you know, even taking a photo of the martini to make it be like, oh my God, like post work break, like, like I deserve, you know, whatever bullshit that we do as a society, like boom, you know. Um, and, and then I just remember thinking like, wow, like what was the point of any of this? Like, I just like kind of drugged myself. That's how it felt like with drinking. Cause like my brain, as I'm sure you can tell, goes like 40,000 miles per hour. And like, oh, for me, and I think with painkillers too, it was the same thing where it was like anesthesia. Like mm-hmm. it was like, I truly was tranquilizer darting myself to calm down. And that's sort of what I was doing. I became very aware, like drunk on the Uber ride home from this night being like, oh, I just like low key drugged myself to like go to sleep. Mm-hmm. And also like, yes, I have not drank five minutes a week and that's great. But also I've been counting down the days for me to do this. So like, who's in control of who, honey? Like Jesus right. Christ, you know what I mean? Anyway, smash cut, the pandemic shuts down production. And um, I'm at home drinking a lot as you know, I see on Instagram, quarantinis, Ina Garten making a weird vodka slushy at 11 a.m. because that's ha 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 normal. Okay. Uh, you know, like, uh, okay, honey, sure. Uh, and you know, everyone's really just at home. They're, they're, they're drinking a lot and it's been normalized and we make light of it. But, you know, I knew I was drinking out of pain and anxiety and frustration. And I think the pandemic in a way, I'm grateful for it because it allowed, it expedited the process with my drinking and it really put the fast forward button on it because I was just now with my show shut down, I just had no, it was almost a relief. Like, I feel like when you are really ambitious and you also have a problem with alcohol or drugs, you're, the two of them are competing for your attention. Mm-hmm. They're like little mm-hmm. spoiled brats that are just like, look at me, look at me. And like, I remember so vividly, like becoming resentful of like my commitments to my career, which like, again, like I was so lucky to have, like, I remember Netflix wanted me to like get up at 7am to do this fucking, I don't forget what it was. And it was during the pandemic and it was going to just be a slog. And I remember thinking, oh my God, well, I'm going to have to like Ugh, not drink that much that night, the night before. And that's going to be really annoying. And of course my brain is like, lol, you're still going to drink that much. And like, you're just going to be hungover and it's just not going to be a fun day. But I remember truly growing resentful of the commitments that I had, which was bone chilling. Cause like, I have always been ambitious. My career is my baby and I'm really proud of the work that I'm able to do. And it was actually crazy that I was like some, you know, favoring alcohol in this situation. So we're in the pandemic, I'm drinking a ton and it's like not even working anymore to to be honest. Like, I think like I could not go past a bottle of wine. I mean, that's kind of a lie because I think we'd have like a cocktail and then I would transition to a bottle of wine. But like, it got to a point where I couldn't even get drunk anymore. Like I would not get drunk. Like it was just not even working. And then I would wake up middle of the night hungover as if I did get wasted and I, but I didn't. And I think that was really, really frustrating for me. And also a telltale sign that like I was developing a real physical dependency on it. Like I think before it was largely emotional and then it became physical. Mm-hmm. And then like in the pandemic, it was truly physical because I remember I'd go on like my Hillary Clinton wandering the woods post-election lost walks. And like, I would just be like, I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to drink. And then like 
you know, 5 p.m. would hit my walks. And I remember I would just like be paralyzed with the thought of not drinking and then invariably order some alcohol from like DoorDash or Postmates or whatever. And that was crazy because I was like, I just lost your sound, Ryan. Oh, sorry. Um, oh, you're back. Sorry. Okay, sorry. So you ended so, on that was crazy. That was crazy because it was just like I openly did not want to do these things. Like I just, and I knew it. And I just, I felt so powerless. I felt like alcohol's grip on me was tightening and tightening and it felt crazy. Like, and also there was just nothing to hide behind in the pandemic. Like it was very much like my problem in HD. You know what I mean? You couldn't point to like, I'm going out with friends. I'm doing this. It's like, no, babe, you're just drinking. Like, that's literally mm -hmm. what you're doing. And you can't not drink every day, even though you have a horrible hangover every day. Also, my psoriasis was like unsoothed and like my skin was a fucking mess and I looked crazy. And like, I just knew that it was not chic. Mm -hmm. Then, so then I remember I bought the Alan Carr book like six months earlier because Edith Zimmerman had written about it in the cut. You know, Edith, she interviewed you. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. And I remember buying it being like, I'm not ready to, to read this yet, but hopefully one day I will. You know what I mean? I mean, look, on the real, I knew, I always knew I needed to be sober. Like I, I knew that this was the end. I really did. I didn't know how or when it was going to happen, but like in the last six months, like I knew that this couldn't last forever and that it was going to come to an end. Um, but of course, you're always waiting for that moment, you know, because otherwise you're just betraying yourself over and over again. And it feels, you feel so, and this is really triggering for Virgo, you feel really disempowered and you feel mm -hmm. not in control anymore, which is like truly put the troll in control. Um, it just doesn't feel good. Mm -hmm. um, so then what happened was, is one night, so I had the book and then one night I woke, it was like such an unremarkable night. It was a night that I drank a bottle of wine, didn't get drunk and fell asleep. And then, you know, was thrust awake a few hours later with a hangover as per usual and making promises to myself that things were going to change and that it was not going to be this way anymore. And that tomorrow's the you know start of a new day and blah, blah, blah. And I remember going on uh, my phone to like read more about Eva Zimmerman's articles about, you know, sobriety and blah, blah, blah. And uh, I, I had the Alan Carr book, still had not looked at it. But uh, I read her interview with you and I was like, okay, addicted, let's see. And then on Amazon, there's like a preview to your book and it is you describing waking up in the middle of the night with a hangover, promising yourself that you're not gonna do this again, blah, 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 blah. And the next day doing the same thing all over again. And I was like, okay, truly drag me straight to hell, Annie. Like literally like you have my fucking number. Okay, like, okay, I feel so seen, I'm triggered. Um, but it was, it, it truly changed. I could not believe it. It was like, mm -hmm. you were really taking the words out of my mouth. What's so funny about like alcohol problems or drug problems is that they do there's, I mean, at the end of the day, it's the same shit. <laughs> it really is. It's the same shit, different story. But for some reason you really do think you're unique or you're specific. And like your, your experience is I'm sure so many people's experience. And just reading it and having it near my own, the own moment of me in bed at 3 a.m., I was like, okay, like you got me. So I bought your book. I read Alan Carr's book the next day and like it cracked open my brain. I was obsessed. And then I, then I read This Naked Mind immediately. 
I didn't read it like two chapters at a time, like you said, because I already read it. I read when I read Alan Carr's thing, I was like, oh, this is it. Like I was like, this is it. Like he broke down alcohol in such a way that like, and then having your like reading both back to back was so helpful because like mm-hmm. I feel like yours was just like a lot more colloquial and like whatever. And you were really weaving your own personal experience into it, which was so mirrored mine. And like just the idea of like how alcohol works in the brain. But I remember you said something that really stuck out at me and like truly I could never think of it any differently was when you were like, remember the first time you drank alcohol and how disgusting it tasted. Like how literally you were like, blah! And then everyone's like, no, babe, it gets easier. Just like keep with it. And you're like, okay. And then like, it does eventually. And you're like, lol. Like you're like, that first taste is like truly how alcohol tastes. And then your taste buds are like, well, this bitch isn't going to change his habits anytime soon. So we got to adapt. And then you like learn to adapt. And it was like, oh my God, that is so true. I remember so vividly the first thing I ever drank, which was when I was 17 at a party. It was like this awful vodka thing and it tasted vile. And I remember thinking, oh my God, how does anyone do this? And then, but then I remember like, you know, just being like, all right, well, whatever. It's what people do. Let's go. And then also just like how normalized it is in our society. And it just like, it made me remember like Kathy Lee and Hoda drinking wine at 9am, which is disturbia. Also, don't even get me into like the commodification of wine and the intersections of mom and, you know, whatever, and how gendered it's become, which is so zero dark 30 to me. And like, but like, imagine if it was like, you know, Kathy Lee and Hoda, like taking a Percocet or like drinking vodka, like you'd be like, oh my God, this is so scary. Like they need help because it's wine. It's like fun. It's like mom juice. And then it's like, you go on Instagram and it's like people boomeranging with like their, their champagne glasses and like Sunday, Sunday. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, oh my God, like we are all worshiping at the altar of booze. It is so sewn into the fabric of our lives in a way that like, when you broke it down, you're like, it's about your conscious and your subconscious. And like, there's a reason why your conscious mind is like, this is bad. I like, don't want to do this anymore. And then your subconscious is like, wait, but like boomerangs, Kathy Lee and Hoda, Ina Garten, Baka Slushy, dead to me, Christina Applegate, red wine. And you're like, oh yeah, I want to do that. That makes sense. Like, it's like you have years of conditioning and you can't compete against that. You really can't immediately like, because it's so, it's like in the DNA of our society. It is like we're taught from a very young age that we need alcohol for to, like for X, Y, and Z. Like I, I remember, like I have one of my closest friends is really not a big drinker at all. And um, this summer she's single. It's post pandemic, so she's like out in these streets again. And so she's like become a drinker for the summer just to like do it because that's like what you do. Mm-hmm. And like she doesn't even like. And she's gone back now to like right how she used to drink, which is like nothing really at all because she just truly doesn't like it. But it's like she had to become kind of a drinker to become someone who like dates and goes out and does all these things. And I think that's just so disturbia. And like it, it made a lot of sense where like basically like your book helped me, again, this is my Virgo heroine, uh, like take the power back and feel, mm. feel empowered rather than disempowered. And by the way, this is not, okay, this is like where I'm going to go in controversial territory. Like AA has saved so many of my friends' lives and they've gotten sober and it's worked for so many. The reason why it didn't work for me when I used to go was like, okay, whatever. I, I don't mean to be a bitch. This is not like in indescri- like No, it's your own journey. Okay, you should- 
I, I was like, honey, I'm trying to get like less focused on alcohol rather yeah. than like have it be a main focus like every day of my life. Like I don't want to take it one day at a time. I want to like not take any days. Like I, I want to just like be done. Like I, I don't, alcohol has taken up so much real estate in my brain mm-hmm. that I would love to, and like I would love to just not think about it. Like, you know what I mean? And it's like, when you talk about the subconscious and the conch, like it really is like retraining a muscle. Like you have to like, like I, I remember, you know, when I read Alan Carr's book in your book, Back to Back, I was like, I'm never going to drink again. And I was not scared of saying that. I feel mm-hmm. like historically you're taught to like, you're like, well, I don't know. You're like, I remember some friends who I love and adore were like, you're riding the, I think it's called the pink wave or something like that. Oh, like, yeah. yeah. Pink cloud, yeah. And, and I remember being like, no, I'm not. I remember like in my, like, I didn't say that. I didn't say that because it's a touchy subject and I know everyone's journey is personal, but I remember being like, no, no, like, no, no. Like I, I, I like my perspective has shifted irrevocably. I cannot look at alcohol the same way ever again. I mean, it got to a point where I need to like tone down because I truly feel like an anti-alcohol evangelist, which I know is not chic, but like the way that we talk about cigarettes and like no one smokes anymore. And if they do, it's like, babe, are you okay? Dot, dot, dot. I feel like alcohol is sort of the same thing, except for it's so like sucking the D of capitalism that like we can't mm-hmm. like fuse them apart. And because also people have come to rely on alcohol in such a psychotic way that like to opt out of it becomes triggering for them and becomes a mirror that they have to look through. I, I truly feel the one, I would say a bummer part of all of this is like, I feel like I have evolved past people like in certain ways where like I feel like I see I sound like a cold member or something I'm like I see clearly now but it's like true though like I kind of see things for what they are and by the way I'm not saying like everyone should never drink but like there is such a profound lack of critical thinking about drinking and I would say people Mm -hmm. go to lengths to avoid that critical thinking because they're scared of it you know what I mean and I mean I yeah and so I celebrated a year like a month ago, um, sober. And I, again, like people again are always like, I went to New Orleans. They're like, oh, was it hard for you? And I'm like, hard how? Like, I don't know. Like, it's so interesting how like there's these narratives that people push on you mm-hmm. about your own relationship. And I'm like, I don't know what to tell you. Cause I understand by the way, like if you had told me 14 months ago that I would be saying these things, I'd be like, uh, babe. I mean, I'd be like, thank God. I would be like, truly thank God. Cause I'm such a natural born skeptic. Like, I think that's also why your book related to me was like, honey, you came with facts. You came correct. You came with Virgo energy. And like, you were like, okay, here's the data, babe. Here's the data. That's my love language is data. So like, you know, but I, I don't know how to tell people that like, it's not hard. And again, I feel, I feel bad saying that because I think it, I don't want to dismiss people who it has been difficult for them. I don't want to minimize their pain. And, but it, it is weird that people are, seem to be triggered by my journey in a weird way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, no, for sure. Absolutely. That's, but that's the weird part. That's like the weird part that like, there's no rule. I mean, it's just like, navigating that and also like I think sometimes I feel like um like imposter syndrome with like AA people where like I feel like a slight like not overt but there's a slight kind of thing of like well like someone once like was like well people might call you like a dry drunk and I'm like I'm 
no, I don't know how to talk. I'm like, I'm not, I don't know. It's like weird. You know what I mean? But it's of course you can't, if you actually even like defend yourself, you just sound insane. And like, you are a dry drunk. So you're kind of like, okay, babe, like love and light. Like, I don't know. Like, what can you say? Like, I know my truth. I know my journey. And like, it's sort of like, babe, read the book. I don't know what to tell you. Like read the book. I don't, it just, it clicked. Like, and also by the way, like the book isn't a magic trick. Cause you know, I've had, my sister got sober a month after me because she read your book. Thank God, love. And talk about a family disease. Um, and then my mom who fell off a cliff during pandemic and like totally started using again. Um, she is starting to read it now, which is really amazing. And she's fucking obsessed. So like, thank you for that. Because I swear to God, if you can get my entire family sober, I'm like truly addicted. I'm going to send you like an edible arrangement. But like, <laughs> but like, I don't know. It's like weird, but it's also just like, like, okay, like mocktails. This is like how stupid and radicalized I am. But like only, like, by the way, I have no one to talk to about this besides my sister because everyone has been either AA or still drinks. So like they just don't get it. But even like people are obsessed with like giving me mocktails or asking me for a mocktail. But because again, this is me being radicalized. Um, I don't like support drinking culture. So I don't need to approximate a cocktail because I don't need a cocktail. A cocktail is bogus. It's just a $20 drink masking the real taste of alcohol. Like, I don't need to do that. I did that for years. So like, I'm really good with a sparkling water and lemon moment, but like people are obsessed with driving this mocktail narrative. And I'm like, I'm not gonna eat a mocktail. Like, <laughs> mocktails are bogus. Like I saw like Luann on Roni drinking like fake rosé and I'm like, honey, you're like, that's not the way. Fake rosé is not the way because you're still you're still participating in drinking culture and you're still putting alcohol on this pedestal. Like Edith Zimmerman said, this is like the, the most succinct way. Alcohol is a scam. And the sooner you realize that, like the better off you'll be. Like that sentence like crystallized with me in such a profound way. And like, that's why I'm like, I don't need to drink like a fucking fake sex on the beach. Like I would say like, you know what I mean? I don't, cause I just don't care. And I don't want to like support that in any meaningful way. And also like as a TV writer, like, and as a creator of TV shows, it's also made me feel really conscious of how I participated in this like drinking narrative of like normalizing it because it's like, it's hard as a creator. Cause like, you don't want to like, you need to like reflect the world that you're in, but it's also like, and like, you can't be some utopia cause that feels dishonest, but it's also like, I don't want to glamorize alcohol use in any way. In fact, I, I'm, oh, never mind, I can't even show this yet. Anyway, whatever. The, like, but like, it's important to me that we like, don't do that anymore. And it's as simple as like, I remember we went back and we finished special. Um, I was four months sober, I think. And uh, there was like a scene where a, like one of the characters was like drinking a lot to get through family dinner. And there's this comedic thing where she like, basically fills her wine up to the brim. And it's like, ha ha, something we've seen a million times. And I remember, I think because I was so busy show running and everything and starring and whatever, it like kind of fell through the cracks. I'm like, I remember like when we were filming it, I was like, oh, I don't want to, I don't like this. I don't like that we're doing this. I don't like that she's like drink, And it's like funny that she's getting drunk at dinner. Like this, this character is obviously in pain and she's turning to alcohol. And I'm just turning it into this comedic runner that we've seen a million times before. A, it's not original, it's not interesting, but B, it like it contributes to this harmful idea of alcohol and it normalizes it. So in the future, I will be 
very mindful, I think, of my role in this. And I will do everything I can to not participate to the glamorization of alcohol because it's bullshit. Is a scam. Yeah. Oh, that's beautiful. Can you tell us or tell everybody just a little bit, like give a, a little like um, professional bio, like your book, your show, all of the amazing things. Oh, you've- sure. Yeah. Um, so, uh, hi, I'm Ryan O'Connell. <laughs> <laughs> People are like, okay. I uh, did it a little backwards. Um, and I created a show called Special on Netflix. Uh, season two came out on May 20th. Uh, and it's based on my memoir that's called I'm Special and Otherwise We Call Ourselves. Uh, before that, I've written for other TV shows like Awkward and Will and Grace. And now I'm working on the Queer Spoke reboot. Um, so, and I'm also working on a film adaptation of my novel, which by the way, your book is in my novel, Annie Addicted. I know, honey, I'm giving you PR, babe. I'm fucking- I saw it in Social Magazine. I was oh, like- Oh, honey, yes, of course. Of course, honey, spreading the gospel, spreading the fucking gospel. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and by the way, I'm telling everybody. And it's so interesting because I, I talked about how my sister read it and got sober. You know, I've had a few people read it and it hasn't been this kind of magic trick that they were expecting. And I think it's really important to talk about how The one thing that's frustrating that you can't do a how-to on is like, I was ready for a perspective shift. Mm -hmm. I was ready to believe in something else. I no longer believed in alcohol. I knew that what I thought it did to me, which was relieve anxiety and like da-da-da, it was actually doing the opposite. I was cognizant enough to be like, okay, this isn't working the way that I thought it was. So I was really ready to believe in something new. And I think that's the one thing that you can't, you need to get there a little bit. Like, you know what I mean? The book can be this perfect, like launching off point to that. But if you're not ready and you're still believing in alcohol and like what it does for you. And, and that reminds me of like dry January when like I would, you know, be at dinner and be like, oh, there'd be like five minutes where I'd really want a glass of red wine. And then I would abstain and then it would go away. And I feel so proud of myself. It's like this idea of willpower is like just not going to work because it's like you're still believing in that glass of red wine and what it will do mm-hmm. for you. I think people have a hard time de- detaching from that. So it's like, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's like to me, there needs to be two pieces working together. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I think people need to like readiness is, is the first thing that you need for change. There's not even you know, can't really mince that. And so I've, I've heard all sorts of stories, like somebody reads the book, they put it away for a year and then they're like, oh, wait a second. And then they read again or, you know, different mm-hmm. things. That readiness piece, you cannot underestimate it. Well, I will tell you anytime I talk about it, like in the press or on my Instagram or something like that, like the number of DMs I get is like, there's like shocking. Like it's mm-hmm. like, because it, it lends credence to this theory that I have. that's like, I truly think a lot of people are in these kind of problematic relationships with alcohol that don't fit this textbook narrative of addiction or alcoholism or whatever. It's more of this gray area. Again, like our thinking of drinking, I think exists really much in a binary. You either have a problem or you don't. Um, I love that I'm just skewing back rhetoric that you've already, it's like, you're like, yeah, babe, I wrote the doc. (laughs) 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 But it's like, but it's like, I think that, I think that there, I think what, what prevented me from getting sober was that there is no language. There is no language for the in-between. And like, if you don't look, and also you look to this checking of the boxes and you almost, you hope that actually you don't fit that because if you don't check every box, well, then you're fine. Then you can feel okay about yourself. And then you can delude yourself into thinking everything's okay. 
And uh, it's really frustrating because what I've learned and what I've always felt to be true is that a lot of people just have these versions of alcohol that they want to change, but they don't quite know how to do it. Because, because I remember like, I go to Provincetown every summer and I remember like a legitimate fear that I had in getting sober. And this is so psychotic would be like, how am I going to go to Provincetown and not drink Frosé? Like that is a real thought I had. And when I fucking got sober, one of my best friends who goes to Provincetown goes, what are you going to do in Provincetown? Like when we all drink Frosé, like that was a real thought he had. And I was like, it was like actually kind of validating because I was like, it is psychotic to like prevent getting sober because you're wondering about Frosé that you drink once a year. Uh, but like the fact that like my friend also mentioned it as a cause for concern <laughs> is like truly like we're all mentally ill and like need help. And like, we're all, it's just, it's, it's really interesting to me. But anyway, the, the, the response that I've gotten has really been like, wow, this is a real epidemic, I feel like, and like one that we're not really talking about. And I just feel really passionate about like kind of spreading the word. And like, I don't know, it's like, I think a lot of people are suffering that don't have to suffer because there is another way. You know what I mean? And it's so cool for someone like you in the spotlight to spread the word because your platform is such that it just reaches so many people. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Well, I talked about it. I was really, I felt really like sketchy because I talked about like the day that I fucking read your book and was like, I'm getting sober. I, I mean, I could scream it, scream it from the mountaintops. And I was like, okay, but I'm going to look psycho. And be like, I'm Ryan O'Connor on one day sober. And this is how I did it. People were like, bitch, you're fucking crazy. Um, and so I like bravely waited till like October, which is like, which was literally like, I think I had four months sober, but I was like, I was like, I truly was like, I can't, I can't hold on to this information any longer. Like, I really do believe that this is going to change people's lives or could change one person's life. And like, if someone's going to drag me straight to hell for like literally talking about being brave, like for being like, hi, I'm four months sober. <laughs> like then whatever, that's their journey. I don't fucking care how they perceive that. Like, but if this can like reach one person and change their life then it's all worth it. I don't really care. That's so awesome. I love that so much. Ugh, so good. So let me ask you the question that I asked sure. at the end, which is if you were going to go back to Ryan uh, of a few years ago, who was, you know, drinking at restaurants by himself, not really wanting booze in the house, but letting alcohol, like you said, take up so much mental real estate. And you were going to tell him about what life is like now. What would you say? So much easier. It's just so much easier. I can't explain to you. I mean, I think I had this real narrative of myself that I was really anxious. I was a really anxious, stressed out person. And the story break that I had with drinking was that that was actually making me a stressed out, anxious person. And when you remove alcohol, everything becomes doable. I'm not going to say that I haven't been stressed. I'm stressed right now. I'm like literally drowning in work. I literally have not been like away from my desk in like two years, but like it is all doable. It's all feasible. Like, like, like with alcohol, everything became hard. Everything became something to triumph over. Like, oh, I need to get through this day. I have 10 meetings and I'm hungover, but like, okay, I'm going to run. I'm going to go to the gym. I'm going to sweat it out. And like do this and get a latte and get, a, get some carbs and like get this train moving. And like, it doesn't have to be that way. It can just be another day. And like, it can be a stressed out day. But like, I remember someone the, just the other day was like, how do you relieve? How do you release your stress? Like, how do you deal with your stress? Cause like, it doesn't go anywhere. And typically, you know, you use alcohol and I, I have to say to them, I'm like, I don't, 
really ever feel that way anymore that there's like a lever that I have to like release do you know what I'm saying like not to say that like again that I'm like zen by any means I'm still a crazy person who like again is going 80 miles per hour and has a lot on its on their plate and makes things really busy and complicated for themselves but it's like everything just now seems doable because I'm not dealing with a mid-grade hangover and I'm not doing this mental math of like equating how much I can drink or doing this or doing that or thinking about my alcohol consumption and doing whatever like there's just been so much uh bandwidth freed up in my brain and I just don't feel this this need to like yeah to have this giant release these uh, like I know I take a bath like I don't know it's like not it just isn't that complicated do you know what I'm saying Totally, totally. And actually, like, it's so interesting because it's it's worth saying that we think that people drink to, you know, overcome depression and anxiety and all this stuff. And in some cases, that's somewhat true. But actually, the scientific proof of alcohol is that that anxiety that you're experiencing, that stress out feeling is really a symptom of withdrawing from the alcohol you drank previously. So it just gets worse and worse and worse. So you're always on this cycle and the thing that's causing all the pain is the alcohol when we think it's the thing that's solving all the pain. And so like just even knowing and understanding that is just like, oh. I just- know. I feel like I was just caught in like the least interesting washing machine. Like I literally was just like, here we go again. Like, you know what I mean? It was just like, yes. oh my God. And everything just had this kind of flat blank quality to it towards the end. So you know what I mean? It was just sort of like so not interesting. And I was so over it. You know what I mean? And again, like now my days have all kinds of different shapes and like, it just, it feels really good to know that like I'm in control again and that like the good, the bad, everything in my life, like I can take ownership over all of it. It's all because of me for better or for worse. And I find that to be really empowering to be in the driver's seat again. You know what I mean? I love that so much. It's so great. Well, this has been awesome. This, I really, I love how you talk. I think it's <laughs> Thank you. I mean, do not listen to this episode on 2X. <laughs> oh my God, lol. By the way, who does that? Those people need to seek help. Like any of you on 2X, I'm like, I'm praying for you. Like, <laughs> you need another book other than This Naked Mind, babe. This is like just the tip of the iceberg to me. That's awesome. Well, this has just been great, Ryan. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. Have you tried the alcohol experiment? Okay, if not, drop everything and go to thisnakedmind.com forward slash experiment. This free 30-day challenge is designed to interrupt your patterns and put you back in touch with the best version of you. You remember it was that version of you that's living your most joyful life, the version that doesn't need alcohol to relax or to have a good time and is having more fun than ever. And again, this is a totally free challenge that will change everything for you. So learn more and join me 100% free at thisnakedmind.com forward slash experiment. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast as it truly helps the message reach somebody who might need to hear it today.